Hi, I'm T2, and I support GenX Grown Up through Patreon because they're super gentle to my wires and boards. I think you should too. Go to patreon.com forward slash GenX Grown Up. Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown-up. Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up Podcast. Listener to this backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. I am John. Joining me as always is Mo. Hey, everybody. And you know that George is here. Hey, how's it going, guys? Most of us were introduced to Rob Reiner through his portrayal of Archie Bunker's son-in-law, Meathead, in All of the Family. <laughs> but that was just the beginning of a long and successful career as not just an actor, but more importantly, the director of some landmark Gen X era films. In this episode, we're highlighting filmmaker Rob Reiner and remembering a few of our favorite films from his career. Uh, we were saying before we started recording that this is going to be an easy show to record, a fun yeah. show to record, and a tough show to keep under six hours because these are <laughs> great films that we have a lot to say about and, and each of them could be their own backtrack. And maybe they will be one day. Hell, who knows? I mean, we could just make this a four-part podcast. We could just break each one of these up into their own parts <laughs> and release it up. them separately. Right. Yeah. Right. If only they have to edit four hours of content, how to do that instantly. <laughs> <laughs> We'd be recording till six to nine. And yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> Before we jump into the marathon, though, time for a quick fourth listener email. Uh, this is an email from fourth listener Roxamillion. First of all, <laughs> love the name. So Roxamillion. Yeah. Subject line of his email, Arrestedly Developed Gen Xer. Right? <laughs> cool. Roxamillion says, what's up, guys? I really relate to your show, even though I'm about 10 years older than Mo. So I guess that makes me ancient. <laughs> yeah. So next time you make fun of my age, you're making fun of his too. Right. No. <laughs> no. We're just no, making fun of you. Just specifically yours. <laughs> oh, well, that's worth a shot. Good. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, E forever. Yeah. Good yeah. Uh, he goes on to say, every subject you cover is in my wheelhouse. I somehow fit all of your archetypes. All right. <laughs> Uh-oh. He says, Mo, I'm a techie gamer movie buff who likes to work with his hands on occasion. Okay. All right. All right. I'll take that. That's good. John, a media guy who is into classic and cutting edge media tech and and Gen X toy collecting at an almost hoarder obsession. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. accurate. That's me. That's right. <laughs> and George, the curmudgeonly hilarious collector and public domain curator of my adopted era. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, I just have to enjoy that one again. I still get insulted. The curmudgeonly hilarious. I love that. Can we? That's a t-shirt. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> he says, even when George is wrong, he's right. I guess he doesn't mind being wrong since it occurs so often. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. this guy's warming my cockles. <laughs> oh, Oh, uh, he goes on to say, I have binged all your episodes working at my desk, resisting the urge to dive into the Gen X show notes. That's a rabbit hole I save until I get home. So, <laughs> so he enjoys the show and then he, later he dives into your notes, Mo. And yeah, those can take up an afternoon. Some of these shows are <laughs> full of cool sites to visit. Uh, he wraps it up by saying, keep up the good work, guys. Rocks a million, a fourth listener boomer. Nice. <laughs> 
<laughs> nice. Very Thank cool. Rock can, Rock, can I call you Rocks? I'll call him Rocks. I think it's- Yeah, it's called Rocks. It's funny that, first of all, I know we have some young listeners, and I assumed we had mm-hmm. some older listeners. The, the struggle sometimes with finding Gen X era listeners is they don't know much about podcasts or YouTube in first place. <laughs> and the fact that a boomer is out there enjoying podcasts and our YouTube stuff, even better. So- That's right. You're a credit to your generation, Rocks. Thank you so much for writing in. We appreciate every time the fourth listener takes time to write into the show. If you would like your email featured here on the show, it is so easy. Just hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. Read every single one and most of them, just like Roxas, eventually make the show. All right. Well, that good business behind us. It's time to jump into the history of Rob Reiner right after this break. Stick around. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotus, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chipotas. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to or follow Gen X Grown Up wherever you listen. And while you're there, rate and review the show, too. It helps more than you know. Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you, one that will provide several hours of pleasurable relaxation and diversion for you and your family. Did you fail to dress up for tonight's show? No tie, an old shirt and slacks, a house dress? Well, don't give it a thought. We're glad you came as you are. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. In this episode, as noted, we are highlighting the directing career of Robert Norman Reiner, known to most of his fans as Rob (laughs) Reiner, born March 6th, 1947 in Bronx, New York. Uh, And he was the son of a famous comedian. Extremely. Starred in tons of stuff. He was the Dick Van Dyke show, Carl Reiner. Yeah. For our audience, more recently, he was in the Oceans films. That's right. Oceans 11. Oh, that's right. Yep. Right. All of them. 11, 12, 13, What a career that guy has had, right? Mm -hmm. Man, I think most of us, as I kind of mentioned in the tease, I know my exposure to him and his exposure to show business outside of his famous father, of course, was on All in the Family, right? So Mm -hmm. as Archie Bunker's Mm -hmm. son-in-law, his name was actually Michael Stivic, but nobody called him Michael Stivic. Archie (laughs) just called him Meathead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my dad, oh my God, my family loved that show. I mean, my dad, it was like a- a staple when that came on, we were it was on and we were watching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, All in the Family ran 71 through 76. So it was uh, right at the beginning edge of Gen X era. But one, we watched uh, reruns constantly. And so uh, that was kind of his introduction to being in the spotlight. He won two Emmy Awards yeah, for, for All in the Family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and three other nominations and five Golden Globe nominations. And that was an actor. That was before yeah. he found his directing chops later. Do you know, um, I mean, after he was done with acting, kind of moved into the whole director realm. Mm-hmm. You know, he's part of the team. I didn't realize this. That started Castle Rock Entertainment. I can't, how many oh. movies we've seen that was like mm-hmm. put out by Castle Rock Entertainment. Apparently he's one of like the three people that well, founded it. I mean, that makes sense. A lot of his, uh, a lot of his films are 
produced by Castle Rock and well, Parter yeah. and Hole. So yep, yep, doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I wasn't aware he was one of the founding members, though. Yeah, yeah. Castle Rock is the Stephen King production company, right? Stephen King's involved in that too. I think Castle too, Rock yeah. comes out of Stephen King's fiction. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. just like uh, like like Banger Maine comes out. You know, all that stuff and this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, and then once he started getting into directing, I mean, man, this guy hit the ground running. I think. I mean, God, that dude has come out with so many good movies. I mean, Stand by Me, When Harry Met Sally, A Few Good Men. I mean, as far as director, I mean, I don't, can't think of how many have had that many good, solid movies in a row, like in his early career as a director. Well, it's it's not so much whether or not he's had so many in a row or anything like that. It's He hasn't really had a bad film or a poorly received film on his list that I can find. Mm. Like, you mm-hmm. have some directors and there's that one film that everybody goes, oh yeah, they did that piece of shit. <laughs> but, but Rob Reiner doesn't really have that in his list. Even Steven Spielberg has some eh, yeah, yeah, some you iffies. Know. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, Rob Reiner is, in, for my opinion i think he's probably one of the most consistently high quality directors out there mm-hmm. i'm like m night Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> he's had one or two bad ones his are mostly you know middle of the road stinkers <laughs> and a few good ones it's the other way around yeah he is so so recognized in in the industry with awards and nominations and it's just ridiculous i mean for he gets the screen directors guild nominations and he got a best picture oscar for A Few Good Men mm. uh, back in 92, which, I mean, a great film. and that That's was a tremendous film. Tremendous. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of other stuff. A Ghost of Mississippi, another one of mm-hmm. his uh, mm-hmm. films. Yeah, oh, yeah. Not everybody knows he was married for 10 years to Penny Marshall. Laverne, yeah, yeah. Laverne and Shirley fame. Yeah. And director also went into directing. Yeah. He's he's an all around. If you see him and some of his films, he makes cameos and a few. He was in a cameo in Spinal Tap. I know in All in the Family, he was a goofball. But whenever you see him, he just looks like a friendly guy you want to come up and talk to. And I get that impression of the things that I read. That you know maybe that's why he gets good work out of his talent and his and his staff and his crew because he's somebody you want to work with and he attracts good talent. Yeah, you talk about him doing appearances in films. I think to this date, one of my favorite appearances in any film that he ever did was Wolf of Wall Street. Him okay. playing Jordan Belfort's father in that movie. Oh, okay. Oh, I forgot he that. is absolutely hilarious, especially there's this one scene, and I think this talks to his talent. He's in this one scene where he's about to watch the Equalizer at home, and Jordan okay. Belfort mm-hmm. is talking about how don't interrupt him when he's watching his TV show, and this is back before VCRs were a thing right, right during mm-hmm. this timeline of the film, and he's, who the fuck calls in the middle of the Equalizer? And he gets up and he picks up the phone, he's like, cheerio, how are you doing? He's got this whole English accent thing, Right, oh, and then he hangs up. Motherfucker, I missed the intro, bro. <laughs> I would go he back. He flips and catch that, that switch. It's so hilarious. But that's who Rob Reiner is to me. He's he's so versatile. He is mm-hmm. so eclectic, and I, I just love his vision and the way he shared it through film. I think it's yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. It makes you smile. He has kind of like an average Joe air about him. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. That yep. is awesome. But he's, I mean, he's obviously not an average Joe because he's obviously extremely talented, but you know, but he doesn't come right. off that way. He doesn't come off as like a cocky, like, you know. Right. He's like the film director version of Zelensky from Tommy Boy. I'm the average <laughs> no. guy and I make films for the average guy because that's who I am. <laughs> we have highlighted other directors here on the podcast before, but this time around we're doing something just a tiny bit different uh, that George, you suggested. Should you want to lay out kind of how we're going to proceed? Yeah. Uh, so we, 
as you can imagine, some of these directors that we're that we've talked about in the past and that we want to talk about in the future, mm-hmm. they have a plethora of films to choose from. So many that it's impossible to really mm-hmm. talk about all their films without either a just glossing by like 20 Mm -hmm. great films just to talk about one or be stagnating on like trying to find a a comprehensive top 10 list. Yeah. Which is (laughs) good luck. Damn near impossible to come to a real agreement on without having to release Patreon episodes where we argue for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) But there is that. Which which has its own merits. Which has its own merits. So I came up with the idea of why don't each one of us just pick one film that we love from that director and we'll Mm. spend a segment talking about that one film. That way, A, each one of us gets to talk about something that we love. B, we get to spend some real time talking about that thing that we love so that we don't Mm. have to just glance and gloss over it. And C, we get to really share our insights into these films that have been a part of our childhood all the way through our adulthood lives growing up. And I think picking our favorite film, each one of us gives us a chance to really drive home just how important the director in this case Rob Reiner was to us Mm -hmm. I like it it's a nice approach and we get back from the break Mo we're gonna pick your favorite Mm -hmm. and dive in deep stick around coming up on five minute news I'm Anthony Davis you might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other but it's not it's just the truth and i think that's also something that's kind of unusual for americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the states has been so partisan for so many decades so five minute news is verified truthful independent unbiased and essential world news daily you're listening to Gen X Grown Up. But if you have a friend who's not yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. See what I get from the refreshment counter. Oh boy, popcorn and candy bars and ice cream. And oh boy, sparkling ice cold Coca-Cola. Oh boy, that tastes good. Have you been to the refreshment counter? I feel so lucky that I got this movie, and I think it's just because I was very quick to claim it. It's only because of dibs. The dibs <laughs> rule came into effect. Dibs. Although, the other two movies you guys pick were amazing movies, too, and I would not be unhappy that one, but I have picked This Is Spinal Tap. Yep. Nice. Well, and I think you got to pick this because you really only had to argue with John because, as has happened multiple times, this is another one of these classic Gen X films that I didn't see in its original heyday. Ah, ah like a Blues Brothers situation. So I just watched it in preparation for this episode. Oh, okay. Uh oh. <laughs> the, movie, the movie came out in 1984, but the synopsis is mm-hmm. in 1982, the legendary English heavy metal band Spinal Tap attempted an American comeback tour accompanied by a fan who's also a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. The resulting documentary, interspersed with powerful performances of Tap's pivotal music and profound lyrics, candidly <laughs> follows a rock group heading towards crisis, culminating in the infamous affair of the 18 inch high Stonehenge <laughs> stage prop. <laughs> I mean, this was, I think, the start 
of the mockumentaries, right? I think this was yep. like the, yeah. the first one that really, I mean, I think there have been other ones, but this was the one that like made them mainstream, mainstream, well-received, and, and, well done. And showed that they could be really good entertainment. Now, this, the cast of this thing was amazing. I mean, Rob Reiner, he directed it, but he also played a role in it as Marty DeBergy, who was like right. the fan that was following him it doing the documentary. It was fun because he's the filmmaker and he was playing the filmmaker in filmmaker the movie, which is great. Yeah. 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 Uh, Michael McKean, who, I mean, mm-hmm. better call Saul. We've been seeing him. I mean, he's yep. been all over the place. He played David St. Hubbins, mm-hmm. one of the members of Spinal Tap. Christopher Guest, another guy who's on Saturday Night Live, I mean, he's been all over the place too, played Nigel Tufnell mm-hmm. and Harry Shearer, who still does voices, I think, on Simpsons and stuff. Yeah, he does. He's just Derek Smalls. And those are the members of Spinal Tap. But also, I was surprised, like, all these other people who were in it, like Fran Drescher, Ed Bigley Jr. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other mm-hmm. little roles that were done in this thing. Little cameos, a bunch of who's yeah. who of, yeah, like, who's celebrities in that era. Yeah, Like, uh, Believe it or not, the mime who's the waiter, I saw it at mm-hmm. the end. It's Dana Carvey. That's right. Oh, that's yeah. That's right. A very, very young Dana Carvey. Very I remember young. seeing that. Holy I mean, cow. just crazy little cameos of people that they probably just like, hey, we need somebody to come play this yeah. part. And, they, you know, grab this comedian guy like, that okay. Rob Reiner knows. Well, you something. had all these great comics. They were bringing in their buddies is what was happening, which was yeah. great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I mentioned before, the movie actually released uh, March 2nd of 1984. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's high school. For you guys, it's probably elementary school. <laughs> it's junior high now. Come on. And it didn't do well in the box office. It was tire run. It made four and a half million dollars. That's mm, it. That's sad. It did cost two and change million to make. So it did make double its production cost, which I guess is considered okay, but it really didn't do very well. But when it released in VHS in 84, that's when the movie just took off. Mm. Like a cult classic. It became an instant cult classic. I can't think of anybody's house I went to that did not have a copy (laughs) of this. You clearly didn't go to George's house because he didn't. Except for George's house. But everybody's I house I went to. choose the wine in front of me. <laughs> exactly. We'll get to that later. <laughs> as far as reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, this thing got a 95 from reviewers and a 92 from the audience. I mean, this thing was just superly high rated. And here's my favorite rating at all. It got an 8 on IMDb out of 11. Mm-hmm. And it's the only movie... <laughs> on a scale of 11 on IMDb. They actually so made IMDb a change. Has, has a longer scale as a on that one? Just for this movie. But, okay, so they they give an 11 scale, but they only give it an 8 rating? What the hell is that <laughs> yeah, about? Should they give it an 11 rating out of 11? I think just the fact that they had an 11 on it is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that they, they hacked their site for this one exactly. movie, just for this whatever one the movie. rating is, that tells you how influential it is, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> and again, I mean, I know you guys saw it, but just the idea that most of the dialogue was ad-libbed. I mean, they wrote just like kind of like high level, okay, here's what the scene's about. And mm-hmm. these actors, to show you how talented they were, they just sort of went with it. Well, I think that was essential to the process though, because if you had done like rigid scripting dialogue, it would not have felt like a documentary. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. You wouldn't have gotten that magic. Yeah, Because yeah, one of the absolutely. parts that I loved about the film was mm-hmm. when the different band members when they're all in a group and he's asking them questions or there's some scenario or situation that comes up, how they're all talking over top of each other mm-hmm. until like, one person becomes a dominant voice because that's natural conversation. That's right. what happens yeah. in those situations. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. It was funny. They actually tried to get the entire crew listed as writers. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the writers guild wouldn't let them do it and only did Oh, the they're like, Oh hell no. Right. Yeah, they said, we don't want that's going to be a bookkeeping I mean, nightmare. No way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because they said like everybody contributed, like the camera, everybody had contributed wow. to what they were saying on that. And because they did it very ad lib, 
they have over a hundred hours of footage mm. that they had to bring down. I can imagine hour, oh, an hour yep. and a half movie or whatever it was at the end. Yeah, and that's the thing. It was uh, we're going to talk about that. Most of these films are hour and a half movies. It goes to show yeah. you you don't need three and a half fucking hours like you seem to now. You don't have to have epic to do a great film. Great. You can yeah, have an hour absolutely. and a half and do a great film. You know, a lot of people thought it was really a documentary. Yeah. Like, like mockumentaries were, you said it was relatively new. There weren't a lot of those out there. I remember when I was first in college, which was 90 or so. So this film wasn't out very long. And people go, oh, Spinal Tap, because you could go buy records. They really have mm-hmm. records. And you could watch the movie. And people didn't necessarily know who Rob Reiner was at, at a glance because he was kind of from the 70s. And I know people that I talked to went, what do you mean it's fake? I saw the movie. I bought the record. No, 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 no. It was actually shocking. Like, matter of fact, when they came out with the VHS tape, they put on the cover specifically the fictional accounting of a blah, 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 <laughs> because too many people thought it was real and were trying to like, confusing. <laughs> they said like so many musicians also couldn't watch it or had really weird feelings watching because they said it hit too close to reality. Yeah, I can believe it. They said when they go on tour, they like, this is what like Ozzy Osbourne said. When he goes on tour, he says, that's what it's like. He says, it's that ridiculous. He says, he, he yeah. said he, it was almost like a true telling of a real band. If things don't go right. Chaos, interviewers yeah. that aren't interested in you, all those little things. I almost feel when I watch the film that they talk to musicians that mm-hmm. they probably, they all knew people from Saturday Night Live oh, yeah, and things. Sure. And they probably like, like cherry picked little stories they had heard and embellished them. Like, let's do one about this situation, this situation. It felt so real. I think that's why people were fooled by it, even though they weren't trying to fool anybody. Yeah. <laughs> it was cool that these guys actually even played their own music, though. I think that's awesome. I, You know, I mentioned at the beginning of this, I didn't watch this film in its heyday. I watched okay. this just this week in order to prep for this episode. Mm-hmm. I had All seen right. little segments of it here and there, but never watched the film. When I was watching the film and they were doing the concert scenes where they were playing music and everything, right. mm-hmm. I was struck by how much I enjoyed the music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was yep. like, well, shit, I kind of want to buy that album now. Is it a real <laughs> album? So I was very happy with the music. The lyrics were really fun. I oh, really yeah. enjoyed. And I don't know, Mo, you can tell me this or not, but when they're filming, it looks like they're really playing the guitar. Yeah. I don't know if it was, they can't, I know they did play play for the music they actually did play all the wow. instruments themselves now did they play for that scene you know they might but they have... actually have the ability to play the guitar and the piano and oh, everything yeah. that they were doing they've been wow. on concert they actually have had concerts huh. <laughs> and then <laughs> performed the other thing funny is that the whole entire movie was shot in la like everything so even when they're visiting elvis's grave that was in la See, I would have thought for sure they went on location on some of those scenes because some of those Mm. scenes where they were in bumfuck nowhere, Idaho or whatever, (laughs) they really look like bumfuck nowhere, Idaho. Yeah. Well, because of budgets, they really couldn't travel that much, apparently. (laughs) None of our patrons are from Idaho, by the way. I've just alienated the whole state. (laughs) Right. Just for some of our top tier patrons from Idaho, just unclicked. (laughs) (laughs) And Rob Reiner, he was originally going to be a band member. Oh, really? He said, they saw him in tights and they're like, no, dude. <laughs> well, he was so much better as the filmmaker in the first yeah. place because yeah. you saw him try to pull information out of them and trying to bring normalcy back and struggling to do that and mm-hmm. dealing with all the challenges. And yeah, that would have been a mistake. I, oh, the band as it was, was great. So I know guys, I have been talking a ton here, but so, I mean, George, you just saw it. Did you have any scenes that were like, that you particularly liked or thought were funny or, hmm. or, or did you like the movie is the biggest thing I, I would have John was waiting for. I know. I was trying to. I was trying to ease into that, but let's I'm go. I'm still ask. sore over you shitting on the 
blues brother. So I'm curious what you think about Spinal yeah. Tap. So what did you think of Spinal Tap, George? So I feel that eight out of 11 is a fair rating. I'll say okay. that much. Okay. I, okay. I enjoyed okay. the yeah. film. I'm not going to say it was a life-changing experience. <laughs> Although I know for many people, this film is that. This film was innovative. And certainly, like you guys said, it, it started the mockumentary movement. Mm-hmm. No question. Yeah. Were there scenes that I liked? Um, Yes and no. Like, it wasn't (laughs) that an individual scene Mm -hmm. stood out in my mind as being awesome. It was the collection of the scenes together stood out as being great. I understand that. Mm Mm-hmm. Things just kept coming and coming, yeah. like little jokes that kept stacking up. They to just kept paint a building. Picture. Yeah, I I would say that um that Christopher Guest character was probably mm-hmm. my favorite character of the he film, and I'm not mm-hmm. a huge Christopher Guest fan, but I did really enjoy his character in the film, and I think I was most impressed with Michael McKeon as a musician because mm-hmm. I have loved him forever. I mean, we talk about mm-hmm. you know he Laverne and Shirley, and he was <laughs> in Clue, one of my <laughs> (laughs) favorite films of all Mm -hmm. time and he's done all this great work john one of our favorite star trek next gen episodes he played the character who was like helping the star trek people move along in that fantasy realm i didn't know that the juggler sad person yeah right 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 yep so you ask is there a favorite scene i I guess i'll go with the one where they're on stage in the seed pods and the two of them come out and (laughs) and harry sheer get out out of his until the end and And he's kind of and it's over. <laughs> it's all over. Too bad. And the guy's hammering on the thing. Yeah. They're getting the chainsaw out. That was probably my favorite that scene. That was funny. But all the scenes together combined to elevate the whole experience, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> I really like about this film that the heart of it is what always brings me back to it again and again, right? They're rock stars. Well, they're trying to be rock stars. They're a rock band trying to be big. They've had this crazy life and all this, the debates and the arguments and the situations mm-hmm. going on. And then they break up. And then it's that scene where they, he's on the side of the stage because he's not in the band anymore. But then it like, it breaks down to like, oh no, they're just friends. They're just brothers. They're just people who like playing music together and he just kind of signals like come on come on like yeah he's like really really yeah you're part of the band you are part of this get up here and i love that that reconciliation on stage there toward the end that's what seals the deal for me now when i go back and watch it again and again i remember that heart and that's yeah. what i continue to go back to i i like that characterization that really it just makes it cohesive for me it makes it about people not just mm-hmm. about jokes which i love oh that's awesome and I, I don't know why this scene just cracked me up for it and it I don't know. It wasn't that amazing when they're lost by backstage. I don't know yeah. why, but that's what scene- I think was based on a real based on some real celebrity said they got lost at some place and oh, they really? put it in the film, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but just the idea of like sitting there like, yeah, they're walking like, yeah, rock and roll. Yeah. I was like, and they're looking around like, where, where are we? <laughs> oh, no, it's this way. All right. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. And they get lost again. <laughs> I love how they go back to the same guy who gave them directions. <laughs> yeah. They go around a circle on their back. It's like and the janitor. Like, yeah. The guy who's fixing the plumbing or whatever he was yeah. doing. He's like, well, go up at this way. Hang it left at this. Did you turn here? No, turn that way. <laughs> and then Michael McKeon's response to him after the second time they see him is, okay, we're just going to go find our own way. 
I'm like, no, you're not. You've been out for an hour and a half. There are tens and tens of people waiting to see you outside. <laughs> tens of tens. <laughs> tens of tens. The whole movie, though, just had so many quotable and just iconic scenes in it and stuff that made it memorable. I mean, the whole turn into 11. I mean, that is still. That's probably the biggest takeaway from this oh, film. Absolutely. People that Even if they just seen a little bit, they remember that scene about the amp that, well, no, it goes to 11. Why don't you just make 10 louder? It's a part of the zeitgeist. After yeah, exactly. Film, mm-hmm. it there became a thing that Good now, work. like you said, they did the special rating on IMDb for mm-hmm. it. I mean, mm-hmm. yep. it, once you have something like that that just gets talked about and talked about and joked about and joked about, it becomes part of the pop culture. I mean, my son actually brought it up, or my daughter, one of the kids, brought it up at one time, like, oh, yeah, man, it went to 11. I'm like, where that go? And they're like, oh, you know, it's better than 10. Like, he had no idea where it originated. Oh, he was just doing it. He didn't know he, the film. Yeah. He knew the reference. He just heard that. You yeah. know, I was like, yeah, it's better It's better than 10. Like, it's, it's 11. It's, it's past the scale. It's a joke yeah. that's broken out of the film it came mm-hmm. from. It became its own thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, I have the best news ever, though, about this movie. The absolute best news I found out. They're making a sequel. Isn't that awesome? But no, no, wasn't wait. there already a sequel? They did like a a, a, a tour musical thing, but it wasn't like a okay. true sequel. Yeah, gotcha. they did Because I saw something that got released like yeah. 20 years after that or something. Right. Before they announced this sequel, the closest thing I thought we'd ever get to a sequel was on the Criterion Collection DVD release. Mm-hmm. There was an audio commentary with the three main actors in character talking about <laughs> making of the film with Marty DeBerge, oh, which was oh amazing. If you've never seen that, it's like a sequel in and of itself. I have not. I have to cash out one. But I thought we would never get a real sequel, but yeah. now there is. Yeah, That's it's coming awesome. out in 2024 is what it's planned for. And they confirm, it's, supposedly it's confirmed. So the premise is, is that their manager has died. And actually in real life, he did pass away. And so his wife finds their contract and realizes that she's, they still owe her one more concert. And she's going to sue them unless they do it. And since the they've been broken up for like 20 something years. So mm-hmm. they have to get back together, put on one more concert to fulfill their contract. And Marty <laughs> DeBerge is coming in to do a documentary on this again. So they got all the original people are going to be in it again. Mm-hmm. That is such a great premise. And it seems like it fits will fit really well into the whole and Rob Reiner's directing again right isn't he yep and he's directing yep. it again too oh, there we go sold well <laughs> I mean, I'd yeah. have seen it anyway but I would sold <laughs> yep absolutely so yeah I'm definitely looking forward to it so mm-hmm. that was my mm-hmm. choice man this is Spinal Tap it's a good one we we almost came to blows I wanted Spinal Tap I, I wanted to talk about it <laughs> I was a little <laughs> going to talk about it that's okay <laughs> all right well we'll get to yours next right we will right right after this all right I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. Each episode of Gen X Grown Up has show notes loaded with links where you can learn more about our topics. And there's even more to see and hear over at GenXGrownUp.com. Pizza! 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 Pizza
pizza, pizza, pizza. Everybody loves pizza, and we're now featuring the famous original Tolona pizza. Only the finest and purest ingredients go into the original Tolona pizza, made fresh to your order. And into the oven it goes. Presto, a luscious, hot, crispy pizza. We're now featuring... Hey, wait a minute. Give me another pizza. <laughs> That's better. Now, as I was saying... We now have delicious, crispy Tolona pizza at the refreshment stand. What do you have? Cheese, sausage, or pepperoni? Take it away! It's my turn. I said I wanted <laughs> Spinal Tap, but you know, I am not at all upset. I will say this is my second choice. This was my second first choice, quite honestly. <laughs> I love this film. I always have. Released in 1986, Stand By Me. Mm, amazing. Movie. Oh, this. Oh, so good. I'm this just is like, high up on a couple of lists for us. Not just oh, yeah. this film of mm-hmm. Rob Reiner, but also the soundtrack. Yeah, the yeah, soundtrack yeah. hit the soundtrack on there. Right? We got some criticism about it, which I continue to yep. defend. It's still a great soundtrack. <laughs> So Rotten Tomatoes agrees that this is a great film. 91 with the critics, 94 with audiences. Deserved. I think that's fair. I mean, not yeah. a perfect film, but it's a damn it's good damn film. damn good film, yeah. Yeah. It was based on, we talked about Stephen King and Rob Reiner with the Castle Rock things, based on Stephen King novella called The Body. Yeah. It's just funny how like a lot of Stephen King's not horror stuff makes amazing oh, yeah. movies. <laughs> you know, Green oh, sure. Mile. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Yeah. The film takes place in Castle Rock, Oregon, which is funny because, you know, Stephen King's has this Castle Rock. Rock, Maine, where everything happens normally, mm-hmm. but this is in Oregon for some reason. Brief synopsis, if you've not seen the film, you should go watch it, obviously, but <laughs> after learning that a stranger has been accidentally killed near their rural homes, four Oregon boys decide to go see the body. On the way, the boys encounter a mean junk man and a marsh full of leeches, as they also learn more about one another and their very different home lives. Just a lark at first, the boys' adventure evolves into a defining event in their lives. Wow, great synopsis. When I get to the end there and I think of it, it gives me chills because that's what this film is and why I'm so happy to be talking about it. In the last few episodes, in the last few months, we've talked about childhood autonomy and what we did during the summer. Mm-hmm. This is a snapshot of that. Now, I know it's a little bit before us. It's got, It takes place, I think, in the 50s, 60s yeah, era. 50s, yeah, but it's 50s. just like what I remember as kids. You know, We decide, hey, we're going to walk. It's too far to walk. We're going to do it anyway. We heard about this rumored thing we're going to go look at. They end up talking about not important stuff that felt important to them. They talk mm-hmm. about in the film. And it's just such a snapshot of what a great childhood growing up in that era was. They had an $8 million budget. Wow. Their initial theatrical release, $52 million. So nice. unlike Spinal Tap, this one was a theatrical success mm-hmm. before it ever hit VHS. And the thing that jumps out at me, the story is great, obviously coming out of Stephen King. It's the ensemble of young actors that they got for this show. It's based around the stories being told by Gordy Lachance, who has actually grown and telling the story of his childhood for many years back. The young Gordy is played by Will Wheaton, uh, narrated, by the way, by the inimitable Richard Dreyfus. He's actually the voice. <laughs> He's the grown-up guy. I know Rob Reiner, since we're highlighting him, he said he identified with Gordy because he himself struggled in the shadow cast by his famous father, Carl Reiner. So he uh, felt that yeah. same kind of, whereas, you know, Gordy is growing up in the shadow of his brother who passed right. away, you know, Reiner said he related to Gordy. And we had River Phoenix, who passed oh. far too soon, who yeah. uh, Corey Feldman is one of the other buddies, and Jerry O'Connell. Wow. Who is completely unrecognizable. Exactly. Unrecognizable in this. Yeah. I know. I have had such a hard time convincing family and friends, yes, <laughs> this kid is that guy. That guy. <laughs> yeah, right. It's the same kid. The same right. chubby kid from Stand By Me is the quarterback in Jerry Maguire. Ooh. Yes, mm. that's 
the same guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Something that really grabbed me that I love. Now, we both big fans of Will Wheaton from his Star Trek days. Oh, yeah. It's funny that full circle Jerry O'Connell is now in the Star Trek universe. He's a voice on Lower Decks. But I found an interview from 2011 that Will Wheaton said he attributes so much of the success of this film to the casting of those four kids. He said, Rob Reiner found four young boys who were the characters they played. Huh. I was an awkward and nerdy, shy and uncomfortable in my skin and sensitive kid. Speaking of himself, Will. Mm-hmm. River Phoenix was cool and smart and passionate. And even at that age, kind of a father figure to us. Mm. Jerry O'Connell was the funniest people I'd ever seen in my life, either before or since. And Corey Feldman was unbelievably angry and in incredible pain because he had a terrible relationship with his parents. Wow. Those are the characters they play in the film. Yeah. And like, I can't imagine they cast, put out a casting call for we're looking for an angry, abused kid. <laughs> but that's who he was. That's who Corey yeah. Feldman was as a youngster. And he played that character. So you almost could say they were they were method acting all their lives before they got to the role. And it feels real. Like those kids yeah. sitting around, the way they cut up with each other and rip on each other and, and two punches for flinching and all this stuff. <laughs> but nobody's mad at each other. That's how they interact. And it feels so organic and real, like they're real friends. It's just, it, it brings a tear to my eye every time I watch it and enjoy it. So this is one of the few films that I love that this is true about. And it's the kids are the star, like the collective kids are the star and everybody Mm -hmm. else around Mm -hmm. them are the supporting cast. You don't see that very often in films where it's a group of kids that are the star and everybody else around them is just there to support their story and the narrative. And it all comes together seamlessly. Like there was another movie that came out very close timeline to this called the explorers it was another fun film river phoenix was involved in this film Mm -hmm. as well about three kids who Mm -hmm. have some kind of interaction with the aliens and they get this design put into their brains while they sleep and they make this out of one of those tilt-a-whirl things they make a spaceship (laughs) it wasn't nearly as successful as stand by me because it didn't have a rob reiner directing and putting together it's that hard everybody yeah yeah Mm. it's like the part that really made it like you said give it the heart is when they're having just those nonsense conversations mm-hmm. about stuff because I remember having those exact same types of conversations well and they even call that out like Richard Drivis's narration calls mm-hmm. that out we had the kind of conversations that seem important at the time, but yeah, that's right. Almost that's that verbatim. whole little mm-hmm. calling out that meta moment where he's calling out that, and they're doing. Who do you think would win in a fight, Mighty Mouse <laughs> or Superman? Dude, Superman's like a real person. Real guy. <laughs> he's a real person. And they go back and forth, but finally, and then they wrap that one up by going, "Oh, but it'd be a great fight, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, it'd be a great fight. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. It's I watched that one. And I go that that was what I enjoyed as a kid when I went out running around with my buddies and. Never had a big gang like that. Had just one or two friends that you'd go out with. I feel like I'm gushing about this film, but it deserves it. It's so heartfelt and touching. Two more talented actors who were in this that I want to call out. John Cusack, a very young John Cusack, Mm -hmm. plays what you could call a cameo role. He actually plays the now deceased brother, his older Mm -hmm. brother of Gordy. And uh, and also a great and menacing Kiefer Sutherland yeah. playing the big bully Ace Merrill. Yeah. Uh, and he feels dangerous and he is dangerous. And, and you get to see our little gang of buddies, but they take some time to learn, get to know the gang of bullies. Like all of them <laughs> hang out together. The, what they call the snakes or whatever. Like they're getting the razor blade tattoo. Or, well, and Eight Ball is River Phoenix's older brother. Right. That's right. You know? Yep. And I yeah. thought that was a neat little twist on the thing. Because it's like 
older brothers typically tend to torture younger brothers. But (laughs) in Gordy's case, his his older brother was always defending him to his parents who were, the parents were more of the abusive group for that relationship. Emotionally abusive there. But then you had 8-Ball who was absolutely ready to kill River Phoenix or let River Phoenix get killed by Ace Miller just to get on his good side, it seemed. Yeah, yeah, gang first, family second for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was that was too bad. The part to me that also really made it real was mm-hmm. the fact that the way you have those friends when you were a kid and you change, like, like you grow out of them. Right. He he talks about at the end how this yeah. guy grew up through this. Right. Yeah. And to me, that was like, wow, that's me because I said I had a lot of best friends mm-hmm. <laughs> forever in third grade for that just you different people. You know. Well, I think too, like some of the segments that he wouldn't. You're talking about John, how he describes what happened to the different people. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. for Teddy Duchamp, they just lose touch with him mm-hmm. and he just yeah. becomes a face in the hall. I had that same experience with no, a lot I of those feeling. I'm getting young chills. 10 I, to 12 year old friends sure, yeah. mm-hmm. that were so intense and so important and meant everything at that stage of your life. But honestly, now I don't know where any of those guys are apart. that I was friends with at mm-hmm. that point because yeah, they just become faces in the hall or they move away or mm-hmm. any number of different things. And then I'm sure John, you're going to talk about it here coming up. The, Oh, the, the, yeah, wind the, the, up the coda of the movie. at the end. You're talking yeah. about that flash forward, right? Where you see Richard Dreyfus. He's been telling this story all along and typing on his beautifully antique eighties computer, by the way, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a giant font. But the point is he's wrapping up the story that he's been writing and it just seals it where he says, I've never had friends again. Like I had when I was 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jesus does anybody and it's just yeah. like oh it hurts it's so true and it's so powerful and then you see him with his kids who are right. that age now and they're going out and they're going to do something it's just so sweet and man I, I don't have any more great things I can say about it especially because <laughs> of the the sadness he reveals in that moment what made him start writing the story to begin with right because mm-hmm. he does the flash yeah. forward and there's the whole motivation that river phoenix's character yeah he just read an article that he got yeah. stabbed in a restaurant right. trying, trying to, to make peace yeah. between people yep. Yep. and i love that in that same moment we get nostalgia and sadness and remembrance. We get all and of optimism that. for the future. And uh, oh, it's, yeah. it's perfectly put on film. Yeah. Yep. And again, 90 minutes, not an yeah. epic, but it feels an epic story happened mm-hmm. in a nice, tight little 1980s film. Mwah! Chef's kiss, Rob Reiner. <laughs> Beautiful film. Whew. Okay. When we get back from the break, we're going to see George's pick that if you were listening earlier, you got a clue of what it is already. <laughs> Stick around. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you're a diehard Gen X grown-up, you can pledge your support by clicking join on YouTube or by becoming a patron at genxgrownup.com slash Patreon. What is it? Say, what is it? Hey, why it's buttercup? Popcorn and sweet cream butter to hot popcorn. Mix it up, wrap it up, buttercup is born. It's delicious. So nutritious. It's a taste delight. It's so much you... Crisp and crunchy. 
crunchy. You'll enjoy each bite. Peanut butter crunched, buttercup, popcorn at its best. Served in a king-size cup. All right, John gave me a segue, so I might as well jump right into it. My favorite <laughs> film of Rob Reiner's storied directorial career is by far the best film he has ever put <laughs> in a theater, The Princess Bride, mm-hmm. September 25th. 1987. Rotten Tomatoes, 98%. You know what? Where the fuck are the other 2%, you assholes? (laughs) Fuck off, 98%. Budget of 16 million, box office of 30 million. This seems to be a theme with Rob Reiner films. Like they seem to make back their budget or double, but they don't seem to be huge box office hits. Where they pick up is that VHS Mm -hmm. rental market that we love so much from our Gen X youth. And I think it's going to be really difficult for the same kind of cult status to be attributed to films today that they were back then because you don't have that medium of the VHS rental store where things can be discovered because now where do things get discovered? It's whatever the Netflix or Mm -hmm. Amazon prime algorithm pushes in front of you. Discovery Mm -hmm. is a way more difficult process in a day and age when it's supposed to be easier to find films and watch them. Interesting. So that's my sadness. Yeah. My happiness is though, that this film hit that cult status right in the mouth. (laughs) Oh my, out of the park. Are you kidding? I'm going to give you the description now. While homesick in bed, a young boy's grandfather reads him the story of a farm boy turned pirate who encounters numerous obstacles, enemies, and allies in his quest to be reunited with his true love. I just can't stop smiling already. I'm just yeah. just hearing the synopsis. I'm, I'm like, I see the scenes. They're flashing by. Oh my God. So good. I went and rewatched this just as I did the other two films in preparation for this podcast. And this is a film that I do tend to watch probably once, maybe twice a year, just because... There are so many good parts to this film, not to mention the film on whole is awesome. Mm -hmm. But speaking of parts, to me, what makes this film successful are three main parts. And the first one is the director. We've talked about him the whole podcast, (laughs) Rob Reiner, (laughs) right? During production (laughs) of John's favorite film, Stand By Me which was released in 1986. Rob Reiner had spoke to executives at Paramount Pictures saying what his next film was going to be, and he was saying he wanted to do The Princess Bride. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the kicker. They didn't want to do it. He just had done Spinal Tap. Mm -hmm. He He was in the middle of Stand By Me, and they were like, Nah, that book has had a lot of problems. People have been trying to make that book into a film Mm -hmm. for 10 years at that point, and nobody could ever get it off the ground. But Rob Reiner had an ace in the hole. He had Norman Lear. Now, Norman Lear worked with him on Spinal Tap. Mm -hmm. Norman Lear helped him to figure out the financing that was needed to make this book into a film. So really, it's thanks to Moe's film, Spinal Tap, that we end up (laughs) getting Princess Bride. That's awesome. (laughs) Moe said you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Happy to help. (laughs) Have have any of you guys actually read the book, the original? Yes. Have you? I've not. It's funny because, and they did, it's a different story kind of, but they captured it though. They captured the heart. It's a different story, but that's the great thing. So Rob Reiner was such a huge fan of the book that he brought the book author on to do the screenplay. And he and him did it. Those two gentlemen did it together. Smart. 
so that's why, yes, the story is different in the book, but we Mm -hmm. get that all the time with books translated to movies. Mm -hmm. But even the writer of the book is proud of this film. He has gone on to be a part of rereadings and when they've done stuff in play form and musical and stuff later on. He has always wanted to be a part of it because he was so happy with how Rob Reiner respected his story and included him in this film. And Goldman, I think, I think he really got lucky because like I said, many, many people tried to do this film prior to this. And there were some really fucked up choices that people were trying to make. At one point, Mm. Fezzig was Mm -hmm. to be played by Christopher Reeve by some schmuck who was trying to turn mm-hmm. this into a movie. Christopher Reeve? Oh, they, want, they want to get a name in there and go, oh, get more box office or something. It was probably. just really stupid, yeah. stupid kind of decisions like that that kept it from being made into a film. And I'm happy. Yeah. Thank mm. God that we waited until we got Rob Reiner doing this. Now, yep. that's part one, the director. Okay. Part two is absolutely the cast. If anybody has ever watched this film, there's no question in your mind that the casting of this film is as perfect as casting of a film can be. First, you got Fred Savage as the grandson. Yeah, he has no name. Right, <laughs> he's the grandson. He just—he's the grandson. But he's—you know—he's coming. He's at that age where he was in the Wonder Years timeline yeah. mm-hmm. and stuff, and he's so perfect as that kid. He's so perfect. Peter Falk, one of the guys who we've talked about in the past as mm-hmm. Grandpa yep. slash narrator. There's a scene where at the end of the movie, he's finished reading the story and he stands <laughs> up and he's patting his clothes mm-hmm. and stuff. And he's like, ah, okay. And he throws his hand down in typical grandfather fashion. Like it's time to leave, but I don't really want to leave my grandson right now, but I've got nothing really left to offer because we've done the book. <laughs> and it's so beautiful the way he plays that character. It's yeah. he, he just embodies that character. Everybody <laughs> in this film yep. does that. Carrie Elways, Wesley, yeah. Dread Pirate Roberts, Man in Black, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> all the things. He's all those things. He's all the things. In rewatching this film for this podcast, the scenes where he's farm boy at the beginning of the movie, yeah. that fucking guy is so gorgeous. Oh my God, I wanted to marry him. <laughs> he's he's like, I'm not gay, but. <laughs> I, to hell with not being gay. That's fucking Carrie Elway's in his prime. Oh my God, he was gorgeous. They yeah. almost didn't get him for this movie because he was filming something else and they were going to have to go with a different person. But Rob Reiner flew to the set where Carrie Elway's was at and did a screening there oh, wow. on site of his other film just to make sure he was the guy he wanted. It's like, we want you. How, is this how much? We're coming to you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's great. Robin Wright is the one that gets the most flack for being in the film. There are a lot really? of people who don't necessarily like her as Princess Buttercup. I did. She that had only awesome. done a little bit of acting on a daytime soap opera at the time. So she was kind of unknown. As a matter of fact, she's even listed in the film credits as introducing Robin Wright. So this is considered to be mm-hmm. her okay. first film credit. I enjoyed her. thought she was she was serviceable in the role. She's great. Yeah, she's, you know what? I, there's no point do I watch her and go, yeah, not, I don't buy it. I bought yeah, it. Exactly. Exactly. She's fine. Now, let's talk about the man. Oh, man. Wallace Shawn as Vicini. Is there <laughs> oh. a better 
actor put in a role than Wallace Shawn as Vecini in any film in history. I mean, Jesus Christ, he's so grating. Is there a scene he doesn't just steal from everybody else on the screen? Absolutely. That's what I'm thinking, too. Oh, my God. Every scene. Every from the moment that they're introduced where they grab Robin Wright Penn off the horse all the way through till when he dies at Wesley's, you know, hands. Just inconceivable. Inconceivable. (laughs) (laughs) Mandy Patinkin as Inigo Mentoya again Mm. delivers the classic line that we're going to talk about in a little while. Mm -hmm. I mean, just perfect casting. And then the other part of the trio, the legendary (laughs) Andre the Giant as Fezzik. Now, Goldman, the writer of the book, he said when he wrote the book, Andre the Giant was who he pictured in his mind when he wrote the character. Get out of town. Nice. Wow. (laughs) And they had a hard time because at that time when they finally were getting everything together to do this movie... Mm-hmm. Andre the Giant was set to go do a wrestling match in Japan that was going to pay him $5 million. So he oh, wasn't going to be able to be a part of the film. Wow. And so they were doing people like, um, they were looking at Lou Ferrigno and Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he was too expensive at the time because mm-hmm. he had gotten popular. All these different guys they were trying to put in the role. And then at the last minute, the wrestling match in Japan got canceled. Mm, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> thank goodness. Right? Have you guys watched any of like the kind of like the makings of like when they went back and looked back at the movie? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. There are so many of those. Oh, yeah. There was one I saw that was, uh, it was a so point talking about Andre the Giant and how like he felt really out of place because he wasn't an actor, you know, really. And he felt like really like whatever. But he says that he says one of the few places that he didn't feel like a freak when he was working on this movie. That's Mm. right. Yeah. So he always felt out of place in his life, like you're talking about, Mo. Uh Of course. Yeah. Yeah. In this film, there's a quote that he has in one of those documentaries where he says, nobody stared at me the way that people stared at me everywhere else. I was just an actor. Uh, To me, I was like, oh, you know, I got me right now. That's what's great. Yeah. Well, because the world's not built for that guy, right? He's he's an anomaly. Mm -hmm. You've seen where he can hide a Coke can in his behind his hand is just an enormous guy and, you know, chairs and seats and cars and everything. And here's a place where this world is built for you because you're in it. And I I love that he had that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, I've been a wrestling fan and we've had the wrestling Mm. podcast cast episodes and stuff i've followed his story he was not a nice guy in the wrestling world like a lot of wrestlers know he ruined some careers and he was he would change his mind in the middle of matches and not allow things to happen because (laughs) geez he's andre the giant what are you gonna do oh yeah you know i mean (laughs) stop me (laughs) the the story you know at wrestlemania 3 where hulk hogan slams him he rips his entire back muscle apart because Andre halfway through the lift decides he doesn't want to be lifted. Mm. And mm. Andre is Andre. If he doesn't want to be lifted, <laughs> good way. you're not going to lift him. Uh, but at the same time, th- I think this movie shows all of that was because of his pain. Like you said, John, he didn't fit in. And it wasn't mm-hmm. just mental pain. It was physical pain, as we know. This movie was one of the few things that allowed him to be happy. And it was right at the end of his life. So yeah. I'm so yeah. happy that Rob Reiner and the whole cast got together and gave him this experience. Now, yeah. those are all my favorite actors in the film. There's mm-hmm. some other ones that we need to take note of. Chris Sarandon is Prince Humperdinck. Yep. He's mm-hmm. the best bad guy i think because he's so smarmy yeah. uh, christopher guess as as count tyrone rugen oh the six figure man great he was so deadpan <laughs> and so smooth in yeah. all of his lines like he rarely gets angry during the entire 
film except for just in a couple of parts near the end please be honest uh peter cook the impressive clergyman <laughs> <laughs> that whole scene has been Mowage. Mowage. So many. Mowage. oh my god and then of course i think the best two cameos in the film billy crystal and carol kane as miracle max and max's wife oh yeah yeah. Uh, just <laughs> just the the happiness and the love of everybody in this film it's just beautiful all the way through and you don't get it without the cast Th- their performances together in many ways they're making sure that you get the heart of the film because mm-hmm. they're this little there's this on-screen heart of the film mm-hmm. well here's what's important and here's you know love and here's you know the whole thing emotionally dead and stuff but and they have this long it's almost like a look forward to seeing buttercup and uh, carrie always character together in the future it's like you can imagine they're going to have this fairy tale life and grow old together kind of thing they show you <laughs> this kind of love can last and be in this world it's so cool absolutely now part three of why i think this is one of the best films of all time are the quotes <laughs> it's very quotable very this very movie quotable. has been listed on afi lists a lot as one of the most quotable films absolutely. in history yep and i think that's deservedly so you talked about miracle max there's this one little scene between he and fezzik when they're trying to get through the door he's like i'm gonna call the brute squad he's like i'm on the brute squad you are the brute squad <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just a little back and forth like that. I mean, they're so beautiful, but it starts right from the beginning. Peter Falk delivers a line that is so beautiful. It gets lost with all the other lines. He says, yes, this is a book. In my day, television was called books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that stuff. It's like that grumpy kind of like, it's definitely a get off my lawn thing, but he's yeah. delivering it to his grandson that he loves so much. And he's like, right. just so you know, this is the thing that people loved when I was a kid. Let me show you. And he shares it with him. <laughs> and you got Fezzik's whole rhyming thing. Like, I don't want to hear anymore. Anybody want a peanut? Whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> love that stuff. Inigo Mantoya. He probably has some of the best quotable lines. One of my favorites that he has in there is, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Right. On the tail end of inconceivable, right? Because Robin Sean is always inconceivable. It's like, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Well, and you mentioned it, inconceivable. How many times? He probably says it four times, five times in the film. It seems a lot more, doesn't it? I mean, because it's so quotable. But everybody, and there's a, you talk about those talking, looking backs and documentaries and stuff, Mo. Wallace Shawn actually, Carrie always says he got the worst of any of the actors at having quoted lines shouted at him because any time he would be somewhere, like if he was walking oh down the God, street in New imagine. York and dropped his keys, somebody would shout, inconceivable. Oh my God. Okay, that must have been torturous. <laughs> so he's apparently had to deal with that for a long time. Oh, boo-hoo. It's so rough that everyone loves you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, speaking of Wallace Shawn, he's got the best death line ever in a film. You fell victim to one of the classic bombers, the most famous of which is never get involved in a land war in Asia, <laughs> but only slightly more well-known is this. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> and then he just keels over. Because that was the whole, I clearly cannot choose the goblet in front of yeah. me thing. Mm-hmm. When, and he gets outsmarted and <laughs> he's sure he's won. And then he clunk, he's dead. The whole Iocane powder thing is, it's tasteless, orderless, and completely dissolves. I'm like Dissolves instantly in yeah, water. Like, wait, and among you, the more I even I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, Billy Crystal, bye bye, have fun storming the castle. Yep. I still say that line to people. Oh, every time somebody leaves. Time. Yeah. 
Yeah. Have fun storming the castle. <laughs> and we talked earlier about the the impressive clergyman guy with the lisp or whatever. Marriage is what brings <laughs> us together today. <laughs> and, like, and he's he's so committed to it. And he's dragging it out. And you're like, oh, it's so painful. Yeah. I'm like, how do you not crack up? And like Humperdinck at the end, Humperdinck's like, say man and wife. Man and wife. <laughs> and then they just <laughs> run off. <laughs> like, what the? <laughs> just wrap it up. I and I love too, like uh, when they're getting ready to storm the castle, and the three Fezic and Inigo and uh, Wesley are all sitting on the little butterment in front of the gate. And right. he's like, "Let me explain. No, there's too much. Let me sum up." It's <laughs> <laughs> just a random throwaway. That's line. like something like this shouldn't be in the movie, right? It's like oh, right. too complex to do. So let's do a summary. No, let's have the character realize there's too much to talk about yeah. and just say, "Oh no, no, there's too much. Let me just give you a summary." So the last two are also Inigo Montoya lines. One is my personal favorite, just because it has a dirty connotation, and that's why I love it. Because it's in a children's film, but only adults would get why it's dirty. And he says about the upcoming duel with Wesley at the top of the Cliffs of Insanity, he says, it's the only way I can be satisfied. If I use my right hand, it's over too quickly. <laughs> but the whole scene, though, is like hilarious. Just the guy's before, like, we're in a rush. He's like, oh, but, you know, he's like... Fine, you know, do it like, your way. Do it fine. <laughs> right. We also had the line that was like, I know something you do not know. I am not left-handed. left-handed right. <laughs> or right-handed or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah, and they go back and forth, and it's the, the every line, like, I've only pulled out like 10 or 12 quotes, oh, but every just... line of this film yeah. is yeah. a quotable moment. Every single line is a quotable it's moment. It's so good. Granddaddy, though, it's the one that everybody knows. And anytime anybody hears <laughs> the term Princess Bride, they're going to say this quote. Hello, my name is Inigo Mantoya. You kill my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> And the way it's delivered over oh and over God. as he is attacking yeah. the guy and stabbing him. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, I've said, I, you know, I was like, I have been waiting to tell you this all my life. And I just keep stabbing the some. It was, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why it's it, because it's so powerful and it's in the scene and it's a mantra that he is prepared is, yeah. for when he comes up with this guy and oh, he yeah. uses it over and over. So good. it's just such a beautiful line. It's such a beautiful film. All three of those things, the director, the cast, and the quotes. It's why it's one of those films. It's in my top five films of all time. I've talked about that with you guys before. Mm-hmm. And that's a tough, tough thing to say. Because when you say a film is in your top five with all the great films that you've seen in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That immediately suggests all the stuff it's better than, right? You're like, well, hold, that means all this is under it. And it is. Yeah. yeah. And I can't say that it's not every single time. It's my top five of all time. The one scene or line that just solidified the movie to me. It, it, where it is in my like one of my top movies as well is when he's finally has the six figure man like, at his mercy. He's like, "Promise me anything," da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. and he says, "I want my father back, you son of a bitch." You know, I mean, it's just uh-huh. like as he stabbed, yeah, him. as he, and I'm like, Bang. "Oh, what a lie!" I'm like, because <laughs> also it shows that like that's what he wanted. You know, I mean, to yeah. me, it's like again, it's like that's what his character he wanted his dad back, mm. not revenge. Really, oh, oh, it was such a great line, and it showed Manny Patinkin's versatility, right? Because yeah. he did this film and right 
right next to this film, he did Alien Nation, where he plays George Francisco, the alien cop. Completely right. different character, completely different mannerisms and everything. And for years, just like we talked about with other things, you know, with Jerry O'Connell, I had trouble convincing people that that was the same, same person. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that yeah. until you just said it. What? I did not know that was him in Alienation. Really? I did not know that was yeah. him. I had yep. no yep. idea. That's Holy me Sour wow. milk drinking dude. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, bringing it back full circle. One thing I love about this film, going back at the, at the bedroom where Peter Falk is reading the book to Fred mm-hmm. Savage, you know, and in the film, As You Wish, mm-hmm. is replaced in place of I Love You because, right. because Carrie Elwell's character could not tell Buttercup I Love You, so he just said As You Wish. And that was his way of saying, I will do anything for you. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> when the boy wants to hear the book, again he opens it up and he goes as you wish yeah he's saying i love my grandson Mm -hmm. i'm gonna read this to him again as you wish also means i love you here too outside Mm -hmm. of the book and it's just a great bookend it's right as he's he's got his head halfway out the door right and he's given that peter falk sly look (laughs) that one more thing kind of thing everything yeah and he just looks at it and he's like, as you wish. And then you know yep. that he just pulled his head out and closed the door. And you know yep. he came back the next day and read that book over to his son mm-hmm. again, who yep. didn't like the kissing, but now it's okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. as long as the shrieking eels are in this yeah. film. I mean, there's so much that we can't mention about these movies. You're right, John. And you talked about this at the beginning of the episode. Mm. We could easily do a podcast on each one of these films yeah. individually. Each Hell, of them. some yeah. of them could be Some of them could be multi-parters. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, really, right. yeah. this one especially. Oh. And, you know, it, anniversaries come up, we may do that. Who knows? That's I mean, true. It's, it, they're well worth it. Uh, there's, there's plenty we have not talked about in all of these films. Oh it's worth God. our time. Whew. Oh, I'm, my cheeks hurt from smiling. My the corners <laughs> of my eyes are wet from tearing up a little bit. These are some great, great films to run through. Yeah. Rob Reiner, thank you for your legacy of films. That continues to this yeah. day. We got Spinal Tap coming, another follow up on one of these awesome ones. Thank you guys for your time and sharing with me uh, your memories of these films. It's been great. I'm sure the listeners are going to enjoy it too. Oh, sure. This is fun. Uh, hey, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. We'll be back in two weeks with another backtrack, though, so don't worry about that. And next week <laughs> is a regular edition of our show. Until then, I'm John. George, thank you so much for being here. Yes, sir. Mo, you know I appreciate you. Always fun, man. Fourth listener, though, it's you we all appreciate most of all, though, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. Gen X Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Yeah, I could keep talking about that movie. I know. It's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> the we train scene. The... I, I hope nobody's hungry because we've got another fucking hour to go here. <laughs> Hold up. I'm going to start clicking things off just in defense. <laughs> it, it won't matter. They're all memorized. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.